So you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10, page 1062 in your pew Bible, John chapter 10. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Godwin. I'm one of the associate pastors here at at this church. Our senior pastor, uh, Jeremy Rinney, is on sabbatical. He will be back in in September, so just in a few weeks. And I have the privilege of uh, being on our preaching team. You can pray for Jeremy and Jennifer Rinney as they're leaving for India today for a few weeks. So pray for them. John chapter 10, starting at verse 22. I'll read that in just a moment. A little over a week ago, a theater showing the movie Dark Knight Rises was massacred by a gunman, killing 12, injuring 58. I'm sure you've heard about this tragedy. That night, four men covered their loved ones when the shots were fired. And those four men died, sacrificing their lives for the women they love. So love for these four men meant something very concrete in those moments. How do we know that anybody loves us? How do we know that anybody loves us? I think we feel most loved by what people do for us versus what they might say for us say to us. You know, maybe one of those couples got in a fight on the way to the theater. Harsh words were said. No apologies were given. Now, if that happened, do you think that woman today gives a second thought to her man's love for her? Absolutely not. What about God's love for us? In his autobiographical work, Augustine prays these words to God. He says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Now, human love is important. Human love is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. But it's only part of what we are ultimately meant to experience. There's something more out there. We're made to experience God's love fully and completely. We're made to rest in his love. We're made to abide in his love. We're made to feel safe and secure in his love. But let's be honest. Many of us, many Christians, many people in this room perhaps, struggle to really believe God's love for them. Many of us struggle to understand the deeps of God's love. For us. And this grieves our Heavenly Father. And this also impacts our daily life. You know, we when we struggle to believe God's love for us, we struggle to trust God. When we struggle to believe and embrace God's love for us, we have all sorts of fears. And there's kind of an unsteadiness and and an instability about our lives. We desperately, desperately need to experience God's love in order for us not just to survive this life, but to thrive as God intends us to. So how do you really know, how do you really know that God loves you? How do you really know that God is on your side? He has your back. How would you answer these questions? Maybe you would say it's the the little circumstances of life, God's daily provision, 
of health, of perhaps finances and other things. Maybe you would say it's the bigger stuff of life. God's provision of a spouse, maybe, a dream job, a family, and so on. What if I told you that there is a way to know God's love for you that is not contingent upon receiving or not receiving certain blessings? It's not dependent on changing circumstances in our lives. I believe that the deepest, the most robust experience of God's love comes when we reflect on certain glorious truths about Jesus. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And I pray that as we look at this passage of Scripture, I pray that your hearts will be flooded by God's immeasurable love for you. Last week, we we talked about the Good Shepherd's distinct leadership in our lives. We talked about his sacrifice, his intimacy, his reach, and his authority. And this week, we're going to talk... or. This morning, we're going to talk about how the Good Shepherd's love is uniquely manifested in the lives of his sheep. That's where we're going. So let me read this passage, and then we'll pray. John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hands. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need to hear from you this morning. We need you to speak to us now. So I pray that you would do so. I pray that you would pour out your love upon your people, this church. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see mighty things from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to give you from this text four building blocks of God's love. Four building blocks of God's love for his sheep. That's where we're going. Four building blocks of God's love for his sheep. So before we dive into those building blocks, I want to give you a little background to the story. You notice that Jesus is at the Feast of Dedication. He's at Solomon's Colonnade, which was a a covered area where people discussed scripture after ceremonies in the temple. So it was very fitting for Jesus to be there and to be teaching there. Now, it's not to our surprise the Jews show up on the scene, probably the Pharisees, and they confront Jesus and they ask him to speak plainly about his identity. Now stop with all these riddles and parables about sheep and shepherd. Just tell us plainly who you are. And Jesus responds, listen, I've already told you. But the issue is you don't believe. And what's interesting here is instead of focusing on his own identity, he flips the script and he 
focuses on the identity of his sheep. Now, if we go to a sheep farm this afternoon, we're not going to expect to see snakes. We're not going to expect to smell elephant dung. We're not going to expect to hear the roar of lions, right? We expect to see and hear and, unfortunately, smell sheep. Now, what sights and sounds might we expect from one of Jesus' sheep? What indicates to us that this person right here is one of Jesus' sheep? Well, let's look at verses 26 and 27. Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, says, But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So there's three things we see here that Jesus says are about his sheep, characterize his sheep. Three things. First, his sheep believe, his sheep listen, and his sheep follow. His sheep believe, listen, and follow. This is what it looks like to be one of Jesus' sheep. Now, I want you to notice again verse 26. You do not believe because you are not my sheep. Now, this is an astounding statement. It's astounding. It doesn't say, you are not one of my sheep because you do not believe. It says the opposite. And this brings us to the first building block of God's love. Building block number one, the good shepherd's choice. The good shepherd's choice. So if we reverse verse 26, if we turn it on its head, this is how it would read. You believe because you are one of my sheep. You believe because you are one of my sheep. Belief in Jesus is contingent upon being one of his sheep, which implies that God must first give them the ability to believe. He must first make them a part of his flock. He must first give them new hearts in order for them to believe, listen, and follow. Belief is second. It's not first. First, God must make his sheep a part of his flock. Now, to use language from the Gospel of John, we, we need to be born again first. We need for the wind of the Spirit to blow first. We need God to do something first in order for belief and following and listening to spring forth in our lives. Now, this makes sense from last week's passage as well. The good shepherds sacrifice intimacy and reach. They are particular. They are for particular sheep. Jesus' sheep. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says these words. They're a little heavy. In love, he predestined us. In love, he predestined predestined us. In love, God chose us. Now, when this topic comes up, topic of election, we get into arguments. Right? We philosophize and theologize. We try to make sense of these massive, big thoughts of God. But when Paul thinks about election, he feels loved by God. He feels loved by God. In love, God chose me. That's what Paul thinks when he thinks about election. Now, how does God's particular choice help us to know and experience God's love? How does God's particular choice of certain sheep 
help us to know and experience God's love. Let me give you just a couple thoughts here. First, God's choice reminds us of our inability, and it reminds us of his loving action to overcome that inability. God's initial choice tells us that we are completely desperate. We are completely incapable of believing in Jesus unless he intervenes, unless he does something first. And as we ponder, as we ponder God's loving intervention, as we ponder how God has come into our lives and he's made incapable sheep alive to the good shepherd, we cannot help but feel his love. You know, when you take away God's specific choice of his sheep, you are essentially saying that sheep have the intrinsic ability to believe in the shepherd. You're taking something away, actually, from God's saving action. So God's choice reminds us of our inability and his loving action to overcome that inability. Here's a second thought. God's choice, a particular sheep, reminds us that God is the center of the universe. But he has personal interest in individuals. Think about this for a moment. The God who chooses sheep is a God who's on a throne. He is sovereign. He orchestrates all things. He is supreme. He is vast. He is transcendent. He is majestic. As the psalmist says, he does whatever he pleases. And in that massive universe, we feel like little ants. Now you take that big, that vast God, and then you say, then you describe him as stooping down and accommodating himself towards particular sheep. You describe that vast God as taking an interest in specific sheep, adopting specific sheep to be a part of his family, pouring out his grace on specific sheep. How can you not feel loved by him? When you take away God's special choice of his sheep, you essentially make God small and you make his special interest in particular sheep small. In college, I had a friend who was adopted. I found out she was adopted when she was an infant. And she told me that as she grew to be of a certain age, her parents told her that she was adopted and it was kind of difficult for her to hear that and to process that information. But then her parents told her, we could have chosen somebody from a variety of nations, from a variety of families, but we chose you. We chose you. And that made her feel better. You know, as she grew up and as I met her in college and as she met Jesus and came to a saving knowledge of faith. It wasn't difficult for her to believe in God's special choice of her. In fact, she felt loved when she thought about God choosing her. You know, she's not caught up in who God hasn't chosen. She's caught up in who God has chosen. And she's able to say with Paul, in love, he chose me. Building block number two, the good shepherd's gift. Let's look at verse 28. 
I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Jesus gives us eternal life. This is the good shepherd's gift. His sheep will never perish. Now, there are little pictures of eternal life all over the Gospel of John. We've already encountered a few of them. In chapter 4, eternal life is water for the thirsty. Whoever drinks this water will never thirst. In chapter 5, eternal life is something experienced now, but it culminates in the future. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. In chapter 6, eternal life is bread for the hungry. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. In chapter 17, eternal life is a relationship with the living God. Now this is eternal life, says Jesus, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And here in this passage, we see eternal life as as being something that's endless, being something that never ends. Jesus' sheep, Jesus' chosen sheep shall never perish. Shall never perish. In other words, they will never experience the torments of hell and instead forever experience something far greater. This is what's in store for Jesus' sheep. Have you ever meditated on eternal life with God? Have you ever thought about that? It's a big big thing to think about. It's a heavy thing to think about. Billions and billions and billions of years with God. Maybe that sounds boring to you. No way. No way. As a kid, I I loved Curious George because I think I'm a lot like him. I love to learn. I love to experience new things. I'm always curious. I think our curiosities, our urges, our longings on this earth, they will only get partially fulfilled. But on the new earth, they will be completely fulfilled. I think this is what C.S. Lewis meant when he said these words. If you find in yourself a desire which no earthly thing can satisfy, the logical conclusion must be that you are made for another world. We are made for another world. We are made to be with God for billions of years and then some. The psalmist says, God's greatness is unsearchable. God's greatness is unsearchable. In other words, there's no end to knowing God's greatness. There's always going to be something new to discover about God. Every decade in eternity, every century, every millennia, God will offer us new glories to enjoy. He will give us new insights to explore. He will give us new tasks to accomplish for his glory. Now think about this for a moment. Our God is infinite. Our God is boundless in creativity and power and love and beauty. We can spend one million years exploring and discovering and applying a piece of God's greatness to our daily life on the new earth. And we will have still not scratched the surface. There will still be always more. In seasons of our lives on earth, they feel like chapters in a great novel. They tell part of the story. Maybe some chapters are full of joys. Others are more painful. 
Most of them are some mingling of both. But every chapter has an end in this lifetime. Nostalgia kicks in for us and we feel a longing for certain chapters of our lives. You know, maybe it was the college years. Maybe it was the adult, the young adult years. We wish we could go back and, and relive those years or live in those moments again. There will be seasons and phases and chapters on the new earth, no doubt. But the joy will never stop. There will not be an end. In fact, the joy will only grow and compound and multiply. God will remake, he will refashion this earth. He will remake and refashion his sheep so that we can live with him on that new earth. This is what's ahead for his sheep. And on that new earth, there will be a delight and an enjoyment and a glory that you could never imagine. This is what the good shepherd has in store for his sheep. This is what the good shepherd meant when he said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. How can you not feel loved by God when you think about these things? Building block number three, the good shepherd's power. The good shepherd's power. Let's look at verse 28 again and then verse 29. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. God's power keeps Jesus' sheep. God's power keeps Jesus' sheep secure. No one can snatch them out of Jesus' hand. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. So the Father and the Son, they work together to make sure Jesus' sheep are kept, are secure. The word for snatch here denotes the use of force, seizing, dragging away, tearing out. You know, there are wolves out there that want to destroy our faith. There are forces in the world that want to destroy your faith. There are forces in ourselves that want to destroy our faith. Peter describes Satan as a roaring lion ready to devour. Satan's design for certain moments in your life is to destroy faith. His intention, his intention is to cause you to doubt. It's to cause you to jump ship. It's to cause you to throw in the towel. That's what he's trying to do in your life. That's one of the wolves that's attacking Jesus' sheep. There's, of course, forces within ourselves too. My sin, my weakness. There's certain idols I have that distract me from Jesus. There's forces in our culture, in our society, that distract us and pull us away from Christ. But then there's Jesus' promise here. Jesus' solid promise here. Not one sheep, not one sheep will be snatched away. Not one sheep will be snatched away. None of these wolves, none of these forces will be able to kill the faith of Jesus' sheep. It's not about our feeble, weak hold on Christ that matters. 
It's Christ's strong, firm grasp on us that keeps us going. How thankful I am that Jesus is more committed to sustaining my faith than I am committed to sustaining my faith. You know, it's, it's scary with wolves out there. There's no doubt. The forces of the world are heavy. The forces in me are heavy and tempting. But Jesus' promise helps me to relax. It helps me to trust him. It helps me to lean into his grace. As John Calvin says, Jesus' sheep are made to live at ease in the midst of wolves because the shepherd's power keeps them. Now, God's love isn't just seen at the beginning and the end of our salvation, right? At the the beginning, he chooses us. He gives us life. He he gifts us with faith. At the end, we've talked about how his love is manifested in eternal life. What about the middle? Which is, of course, where all of us are at right now. In this passage, in these verses, Jesus guarantees safe passage all the way through, from the beginning to the very end of this age and into the next. If you are truly Jesus' sheep this morning, if you are truly Jesus' sheep this morning, you will persevere because his power will keep you. If you are truly Jesus' sheep this morning, depression and discouragement, those dark nights of the soul, they cannot snatch you from Jesus. Cancer and chronic pain cannot snatch you from Jesus. Unemployment and financial difficulties cannot take you away from Jesus. Pornography and other besetting sins cannot snatch you from Jesus. If you are his sheep, I am confident that you will make it. You will last because he will keep you and bring you through. Praise God. I think Paul must have been reflecting on these truths when he wrote Romans chapter 8. Listen to these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why can we count on God's power to keep his sheep secure? What's behind this divine benevolence? Now, there was a price that was paid for this gift of eternal life. There was a price that was paid for this invincible power that keeps his sheep secure. And as you know, that cost was great. It brings us to the last building block of God's love for his sheep. The good shepherd's payment. The good shepherd's payment. Jesus died. I want, to wa- I want you to watch this. Think with me here. Jesus died to secure his sheep's full salvation. Jesus died to secure his sheep's full salvation. This is the foundation of every promise that we've read that's made by Jesus. God's choice, his gift of eternal life, his power to keep his sheep, they would make no sense 
They would have no bearings apart from Jesus' death on the cross for sinners. These are all implications and applications and extensions of Jesus' death on the cross for sinners. Let me, let me say it another way. The grace that saves Jesus' sheep is the same grace that sustains those sheep to the end. And all of that grace came from the cross. All of that grace is blood-bought grace. Jesus' death on the cross secures everything that is necessary for his sheep's full salvation. Everything that is needed from the beginning to the very end. Now, let me show you in closing how God's love just gushes forth when we think about the cross. Let me ask you a couple questions. Does it magnify God's love more to say that he did everything he could to make your salvation possible? Or does it magnify God's love more to say that he did everything he could to make your salvation certain? Lord willing, um, I'll be a father soon. We're having a daughter in September. Now let's say, heaven forbid this happens, let's say that she, she's maybe 10 or 11 years old, she's caught in a fire in a house. And I'm on the outside looking and I see her in this fire. Now as a father, I have one of two things that I can do. I could throw her a fire extinguisher. I could throw her a blanket. I could uh, give her a book of, of what to do when your house is on fire. I could give her a few gallons of water. Or I could jump into the fire. I can grab her. I can pull her out of the fire and into safety. Now you tell me, which of these magnifies my love for my daughter? Which of these shows the depth of my love for my daughter? Listen, Jesus didn't die for possibilities. Jesus died for certainties. If you are his sheep, he died for the certainty of your salvation, not for the possibility of it. He died to bring you all the way through from the beginning to the very end. So how can we know? How can we really know that God loves us? Jesus said it best in John chapter 15. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And that's what he did. He has paid the ultimate price for his sheep. He has showed you and me the ultimate extent of his love. And that's why he can make these huge promises. You will never perish you will have eternal life. No one can take you away from my hand. Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy of our praise because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God sheep from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made sheep 
to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. They will reign with you on the new earth forever. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Father, thank you for lavishing us with your love. Thank you for displaying your love in Christ Jesus. Thank you for keeping us secure with your power. We bless you this morning for your love in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.